Good morning, I'm Matt Ford, and today we'll be reading from Colossians 3, 12 through 17, which can be found in page 94 in the Pew Bible. Again, it's Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. <laughs> hey, let me uh, just quickly introduce where we're going, and then I'll pray for us. Uh, if you're new with us, or just by way of reminder, we're in a series in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And we'll go all the way to chapter 4, ending in verse 6. Uh, it's a description of the Christian life. It's uh, New Testament instructions to early followers of Jesus about what it means to trust Him, how we're changed by Him, uh, what practices do we engage with, what are the places that we live out this faith. And what we see in this text really is kind of E on the eye chart for followers of Christ. You'll see something similar in the book of Galatians, something in the book of Ephesians. It's a, it's a similar pattern telling Christians to first start with their identity that's rooted in Jesus. That's Colossians 3, 1 to 4. That allows us to be honest about other things that we look to for identity. That's Colossians 3, 5 to 11. And then instead of looking to the old way, he calls us to something new, to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved in this new identity. Now live a certain way in light of that identity, which is the text we just read, Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And then it goes into practices. There's Spaces in this text, you'll see a call to community with these one another commands. You'll see a desire to be in God's word, a desire to sing, and it goes to prayer in chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. And so we see there these practices that we're to engage with, the word, prayer, worship, and community. And then it doesn't just stop with your private patterns or your private practices. It moves out to relationships to where you actually live. So it goes to personal relationships starting in verse 18. Uh, it goes into social and vocational settings with a, a discourse on slaves and masters as the text moves on. And then it actually goes to those who don't yet know Jesus. And so we talk about the gospel transforming us and changing us in the places where we actually live in our personal relationships, our social vocational settings, and even in relationships with those who don't yet know Jesus. That's kind of the goal of our church. And so actually our staff was on a retreat this last week and beginning our ministry planning process. And we just use this passage and put little post-it notes on the wall and we walk through where are we when it comes to identity? Where are we when it comes to being honest? Where are we when it comes to learning how to walk by the Spirit? Where are we when it comes to the Word and prayer and worship and community? How are we doing in our personal relationships? Where do we need to grow when it comes to our jobs and how we live in society? And how are we thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus? It's kind of the focus for our church and I think it's the focus of our church because it is the focus of the Christian life. And so we're just using this year to kind of engage this passage. Last year, we just walked through all of those things pretty linearly. linearly. This year, we're going to talk about identity and what it does for us. And identity happens when you hear 
who you are and then what it's like to live like us in a community. Communities form our identities. It's true of our homes. It's when you learn this is who we are as a people and this is what it's like to live like us. And that's the space where you tell stories, you celebrate things, you, you don't just give lectures, you embody that. And so actually through this series, then we're trying to tell some stories and not just cast vision verbally, but let you hear from people. So a few weeks ago, we heard from one of our members on living an honest life, com- coming out of hiding. Last week was on forgiveness, and that felt a little dicey to kind of have somebody share their story about forgiving somebody else. I felt like that might pull somebody else into the story, so we didn't do one there. But, but this morning, we'll have another story of somebody who will share with us a, a pattern of thankfulness. The text says four times to be thankful, and so this morning, that's going to be our topic. You'll get to hear from one of our long-term members uh, on her life and how she's wrestled with this and what it means for her to actually apply the thankfulness of God's Word uh, to, to her actual life in like the gritty and the beautiful places. So I'm, I'm eager for that. That'll be like the application and um, illustration part. So let me just pray for us real quick. If you know we're talking about Thanksgiving, why don't you bow your head and close your eyes for a second and let me um, jump into this. Jesus, we come now and we ask for your help. I realize just saying the word be thankful conjures up lots of things inside of us. Uh, would you speak your word to us, this theme that's everywhere, um, it has a substance to it rooted in who you are that actually promises to change and transform us because of what it does to our hearts. Uh, I pray you would make us a thankful people. Uh, for those who that feels impossible because of their story, uh, would you come in tenderness and compassion? Uh, for those who feel numb to that, who don't, don't think they need to be thankful because they've earned everything themselves and they're, they're doing just fine on their own, would you come in a, a gracious but a pretty forceful rebuke and Would you help them see their creatureliness so they can respond to you as the creator? And for those who who this just feels like it doesn't connect at all, I pray that you would um, help. You would uh, pull things together. You would speak specifically to them. So use your word, use stories. Uh, We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, thankfulness. I know in our culture that cynicism sells. Like it's way easier and even more captivating to run somebody down, to be sarcastic, to, to diminish somebody else. That is kind of the currency of our day. I totally get that. So this is not a sermon about online media stuff, or that would be way too small, but I want to just acknowledge you're more familiar with a cynical approach to life, which I think actually has a lot to do with God and about worship. You may actually have experiences where you've heard sermons on thankfulness from people with like lots of makeup and really big hair on TV and they're telling you to praise the Lord and it just feels like fake and plastic and they're, they're raising money as well and they want you to contribute to that and so you can feel manipulated sometimes by people who are calling you to be thankful. I know that's also in the waters. And maybe you just hear something that's like super benign. You hear thankfulness and you have flashbacks to the childhood table around dinner time and your parents telling you to be thankful for what you have in front of you. You don't want to eat that anyway, but there's people in China who are starving, so be thankful for what you have. And so maybe you've limited thankfulness simply to like politeness or, or good manners. What's amazing about this passage is it's written by a man who's in prison, uh, who's been suffering. He's faced a ton of persecution and pain he's willingly let himself face hardship for the sake of the gospel so far from plastic or building a brand or trying to sell you something these words come to us from a man who has experienced the pain of life and still calls us to a life of gratitude that that feels really significant 
And as he does it, he calls us to base our hope in God. It's not simply an idea of thankfulness for thankfulness sake. Thankfulness always has an object or a substance to it, at least Christian thankfulness. So if you're just hearing about manners and being polite, a southern nicety, maybe it's just like being a pleasant is the end goal. But for the Bible to talk about thankfulness is to acknowledge who God is. Far from being plastic or just about manners, the scriptures even say it's about, it's about worship. It's about the very heart of how you see the world around you. So a really important passage is Romans chapter 1. If you're taking notes, you may go there. There's some similar language to where we were a few weeks ago about the wrath of God being revealed because of our brokenness and our sinfulness. But starting in verse 18, the Apostle Paul, same guy who wrote this section, begins to unpack the brokenness of our world. Talks about how we've known things about God, but we've turned away from Him. And it says in verse 21, it says that although people knew God, they didn't honor Him or give thanks to Him. It kind of catches you off guard maybe in our, in our modern culture, but he's saying the problem with the world is that people know about God, they suppress that truth, they don't honor, which is a way of talking about worship, and they don't give thanks to Him. And he says because of that, they give themselves over to futile thinking and their foolish hearts are, are darkened. And then it digresses into all kinds of brokenness sexually and relationally. It's a real similar list that we see again in Colossians 3, 5 to 11. So the Bible, far from manners, talks about the core reality of our existence being rooted in a heart that sees God for who he is and responds to that with thankfulness. What if thankfulness far from manners is actually about declaring war on a fallen and broken world? What if it's about a deposit on you saying, I believe there is a God who sent His Son to make all things new, and though we are in the middle of the battle now, He has made a deposit through His broken body and shed blood to redeem all things? As a creature, I respond to the Creator and everything I have comes from him, even the very breath in my lungs. And so gratitude and thankfulness is a dependent posture, acknowledging who God is. And it really is declaring world on a broken, dead, marred world. To the degree that Christians embody thankfulness, they're declaring something about who God is and what he promises. So, so Paul is right to name that in this text. He names it actually four times in this passage. I think it's the only thing that gets named four times. The only thing that's more than that is this reference to being in Christ or, or Jesus himself. That's like three or four times more than that, which that's significant, right? To think about a call to repeated thankfulness with a call to understand what it means to be in Jesus and what it means to recognize what Jesus has done. That's not a mistake to be thankful for who God is and what he's actually done for you. So I want to talk this morning about thankfulness as a worldview and thankfulness as a reflex. We'll talk about it in both of those directions. How you see the world, how you understand who you are, who God is, what's going on around you, and then a reflex to respond to the warp and woof of your life, of the things that actually happen day to day. What do you do about those? So, so a worldview and a reflex. Come with me into the text. We'll talk worldview first. I want you just to notice we'll come all the way down to verse 15 of chapter 3 in Colossians. It's on page 984 if you close your pew Bible. We talked about the first half of this around forgiveness last week, that we get to be a forgiving people because of what Christ has done. And now we step towards these themes of gratitude and thankfulness. Let me just read it, and I want you to notice what's not in the text. He says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you catch all three of those? And if we were to skip over to chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I want you to notice that he doesn't tell you what to be thankful for. He just tells you to be thankful. He grounds the commands of other things to let the word dwell richly in you, to to live in unity with one another, to be obedient to God, to, to pray. He grounds the reason why with thanksgiving, but he doesn't name for you what to be thankful for, which is really fascinating to think about a call to something that we struggle to connect with and then wondering like what the reference is. Well, the good news is in Colossians, it's not just mentioned here, it's actually mentioned three more times, once in chapter two and once in, or twice in chapter one. Let's flip over to chapter one of Colossians where we get kind of the substance of what we're to be thankful for. I mentioned to you, it's named four times here. The only thing that's named more is Jesus. So it probably didn't take too, too long for you to connect the dots here. What he's going to tell us is there's a gratitude in our hearts that's rooted in who God is and what he has done for us. He starts in verse 3 and he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. His very prayers are rooted in thankfulness. And he's going to talk about who they are and how they're changing, how their lives are bearing fruit, how God is redeeming them. And he comes down in verse 9 and he says, And so from the day that we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So he's in this prayer talking about who they are, how God's changing them, what Christ has done, and then he grounds this prayer in this idea of giving thanks to the Father. Now he's going to give us three specific reasons or things that God has done that kind of cultivate this worldview of thankfulness. Look with me back in verse 12. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The first thing he names that God has done, which is the substance of where gratitude comes from, right? We talked about Psalm 136 in our opening. It's this long review of the faithfulness of God, the the power of God, the salvation of God. And every one of those, as it works through what he's done, it calls us to give thanks. And so the first thing he names here is that God has actually made it possible for you, not by works of your own, but by his grace to be in relationship with him. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in light, which means he's made it possible for you to be his children. He's made it possible for you to be forgiven. He's made it possible for you to be in the family of God. And he's the one who qualifies you. The good news of Christianity is that you don't have to audition and try out, get a high enough score to actually make yourself onto the Christian team. It's not a competition with just yourself or anybody else. You don't get good enough to get on the team. And in fact, the scriptures say, if that was the game, you could never do that. Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God through our sin. That sin deserves the wrath of God, the scriptures say. So he starts with joy and thankfulness and he just names first hey god has graciously moved towards you and made it possible for you to be redeemed and saved that's where he starts be thankful 
as a worldview, believing your relationship with God, your eternal security, your hope now is not dependent on your performance. It's a worldview, which is different than thinking that you are earning, you are competing, you are demanding, you're proving yourself, which sets you down all kinds of different roads when it comes to how you consume people or compete against them or compare yourself with them. He simply says, hey, God made you able to be in the family because of what he has done. Verse 13, secondly, he has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. He didn't just forgive you, he actually welcomed you out of darkness into light. He made it possible for you to actually step away from darkness. He didn't just absolve your debt and didn't just get you back to zero. He broke the power of sin and death so that you have the ability to actually now follow God. He's saying be thankful because he's qualified you to be in his family. He's given you an inheritance as an adopted daughter or son. And he's delivered you out of the domain of darkness, transferring you to the kingdom of his beloved son. And he says in, in verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He talks with adoption, being freed from darkness. And now he just reminds them this redemption is the forgiveness, the welcome, the, the absolving of all of your brokenness. Okay, when you think about things you struggle with and what you're trying to do in the world around you, worldviews are meant to tell you what's wrong with you, what's wrong with the world, how you make sense of things, what matters most, what will lead to the good life. That whole bucket is what a worldview says to you, whether there's a pantheon of gods or there is no God or nature is God. Whatever you think is kind of going to lead to the good life is a kind of worldview. The Bible always roots us in an understanding of what God has done first as the foundation for how we see the world. And here's the idea. If you understood you were already forgiven, welcomed out of darkness, already welcomed into the family, already adopted, and you had nothing to prove or earn, you couldn't lose it, shame didn't dominate you, you were no longer comparing with other people, you're no longer ranking yourself based on your performance or someone else's performance, how that would free you to think about your own story. Not as something that you have to overcome, not something you have to hold against God, not as something that you have to fix to prove somebody wrong, something that you can welcome as a space where God actually now is redeeming, rescuing, saving, helping you. A worldview makes sense of what's around you, and gratitude and thankfulness as a worldview plants you firmly as a reminder that the center of the universe is a God who loves you, who forgave you, who made a way for you to be forgiven and redeemed. That's where he starts. He says, I want you to be thankful. Let me remind you what I said in chapter 1 of who Jesus is. So there's a substance to this thankfulness. It's not simply a positive attitude. It's not looking on the bright side. It's not simply trying to, to be positive in the world that actually is cynical. It's resting in the work of God. It's declaring that He is the one who can rescue and save. It's a creaturely posture to acknowledge the dependence we have on God as the one who sets everything in motion that we can actually now depend on, who we can rely upon. And it's what makes like things like forgiveness possible. Remember last week, as we're talking about being a forgiving people, he just names in there to forgive as God has forgiven you. That's a worldview. He's saying, remember that God has actually rescued you. He's forgiven you. He pardoned you. That now shapes how you engage in the world around you. The Bible doesn't minimize forgiveness. It doesn't lower it down. It doesn't say the pain is actually small, so get over it. It's not a bumper sticker that just says, be nice. 
It's something that trusts in something substantive that's outside of yourself. And at the headwaters of that space, generosity and joy and charity flow. You can actually be in relationship with other people who are in process because they also are loved by God. If you were demanding and earning your own righteousness and your own reputation, then, then you could hold in contempt those who didn't perform as well as you. But if the very worldview that you held on to was at the bottom of this thing, you were broken and dependent and God and his extravagant love came towards you and rescued you, how that would change how you see what you deserve, what you're trying to earn, what would actually lead to the good life, how you could actually treat and respond to people. So, so thankfulness as a worldview, and at the center of that worldview is an understanding of what God has done and who he is. We live in a cynical world. We live in a world that wants to push on you all kinds of sarcasm. Nothing's ever good enough. You can always make fun of somebody else. You can always dehumanize those around you. You can diminish them. Unless you see yourself as a fellow creature and there is one creator who gives us meaning and purpose. Paul roots our understanding there of thankfulness in, in that. So Christians are not just nice people. And, and you should be nice. Be nice. But be nice as an overflow of what Christ has done for you. That's the substance of a worldview. And that creates then reflexes. So I want to talk about reflexes now. How do you react? So that's like, sounds fine, sounds theoretical. Now, now what happens? And just think about the way reflexes work. Right? Maybe you go to the doctor, they take that little rubber mouth, they hit you in the knee. So they're, they're testing your natural responses to stimulus. Something hits you and then you kick. Or think about even like the fight or flight response when you're stressed or anxious or scared. How just before you even think about it, it's what your body kicks into. Like things elevate, hormones fire, hairs in the back of your neck stand up. You're ready either to run away or to go to war. That's a reflex that happens. And think too about the way reflexes work like with athletes where they're actually like honed and trained. So you guys who are into golf or tennis or these sports that have this repeated motion to them, how you, how you practice over and over and over again. So your reflex, when you need it, becomes automatic to do the thing that you desire to do. You actually practice reflexes. So they happen to you. They're natural responses, but they're also something that you can hone. In that sense, I think what he's doing now in our passage in chapter 3 begins to help us with these reflexes, showing us how thankfulness actually builds into us a reflex of community, a reflex of being God's word, a reflex of worship, a reflex of, of holiness, and a reflex of prayer. So come back in verse 15 of chapter 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is the worldview. This is how you see everything. Let that dominate how you see the world is what he's saying. Let it rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. This salvation that Christ has purchased for us isn't simply your own private salvation. He says it, he's called you into a body. And then he right there says, and be thankful for that. Be thankful for the diversity. Be thankful for the differences. Be thankful that not everybody's like you. Even though that creates some pain and some tension and some confusion, some disappointment and some longing. It creates some insecurity. But, but if you actually have this worldview of God as the one who owns everyone's story, then, then we can move towards thankfulness in the body knowing what Christ has done to welcome us into this family. We were together brought into this inheritance. And he says in verse 16, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And he adds to that worship, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. 
If Romans 1 tells us that there's a lot of worship going on around thankfulness, this text tells us to know who God is in His Word and to respond to Him in worship is the reflex of thankfulness. The Word tells us what He's like. The Word tells us what we need. The Word tells us how faithful He is. Responding in worship, both in this room, singing, and also in your heart as you adore Him and treasure Him above all things, is rooted in thankfulness, believing that He's good. And you look at your story, it's too small to define the world around you. Your story doesn't create a worldview. You make sense of your story because of a worldview. And so if God is the one who actually at the center of the universe is redeeming and loving and rescuing, then you can locate your fragmented, incomplete, unfinished story with all the questions that you have in the middle of what he's done. And this word would tell you what he's like, how he thinks about suffering, why he allows certain things into your life. And that huge bundle of confusion of God ordaining and God allowing and God, God being with you and God sustaining and God could have stopped, but he didn't. That whole thing that we wrestle with in God's providence that God's word puts on the table for us is helping us understand who he is so that we can respond to what we experience with thankfulness. Because at the center of that broken story of the world that we live in is a God who would step into the brokenness on our behalf. The only one who is truly innocent, the only one who, who is truly perfect, actually let himself be taken advantage of, let himself be harmed, let himself be actually tortured and killed on your behalf. If that's the center of the story that you're reading about and singing about, then it cultivates a reflex of thankfulness when it comes to the stuff that's in your life that feels jagged and broken. It goes on in verse 17 and says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our very obedience rooted in an understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. To stop and think through the way narcissism and entitlement is maybe the opposite of thankfulness. If thankfulness acknowledges that you're a creature and there's a creator, there's this constant war for your soul to say, it shouldn't be like that. You should be autonomous. You should have all the power that you want. You should be able to do whatever you would like. You're the one who is the master of your own fate. That's the lie that our parents heard at the very first garden. It's what's been traced throughout human history as we've wrestled with that lie and tried to live into it. But gratitude and thankfulness flips that around and says, no, no, far from withholding from us, God gave himself to us to rescue us. And so now when he calls me to follow him, it's not to rip me off or to limit me or diminish me. It's actually to lead towards flourishing. Same way that garden was this space where everything was there and it was perfect. We chose to rebel and push away. To follow after God is to move back towards these garden realities. So to think about words and deeds matching what Christ has done for us is this reflex of thankfulness. And then he talks about prayer in chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The thanksgiving, thinking about who God is as a worldview, would give you a reflex to pray and ask for his help. Because when you pray, you're acknowledging you're small and God is big. You have needs and God can provide. You have limitations and he is unlimited. And he actually cares about you. To pray is not just to say God's big, it's to say he hears me. He cares. And sometimes I struggle to believe that. Sometimes I struggle to understand that because the nature of my story is so painful. It's so jagged. It's so, so confusing. I'm not exactly sure how he fits into this. But thankfulness would be this declaration that I don't have to understand it to know that it's true. And I'm going to bring my heart to him and ask for his help. It's why we pray every Sunday kind of in this corporate time. 
We focus on different things, but we're simply stopping and saying, hey, bring what's on your mind to God. He cares. He can do something about that. And it says to us that there's a God in the world who has power. It's why we've tried to now stay on this front row during communion. You can respond by having somebody pray for you, to, to borrow courage from somebody else, to actually share what's going on in your life and have somebody acknowledge that and validate that and pray for you as a way to respond with thankfulness to bring this to God. And you go, I don't know how to hold this thing, this painful thing, this betrayal, this, this harm, this abuse, this thing that actually I know the Scriptures say is not the heart of God for His people, yet it is what marks my story. I don't know what to do with that. Prayer brings that to God. It's not this like plastic thing. It's a very gritty thing that we see a call to thanksgiving and prayer to bring our hearts to God. The Psalms are full of complex prayers, feeling abandoned by God, feeling betrayed by God, feeling like you cry out and he doesn't even answer. The only tears that you have are are like all your food, like that's the only thing that's nourishing you is the, the moisture from your eyes. That's the way the Psalms talk. And so the Bible frames for us a way to think about our complex stories with thanksgiving. There's a worldview, starting with who God is and what he's done, And then these reflexes that are honed as we remember who he is and what he's done. Helps us welcome people. It helps us be in his word. It helps us worship. It it helps us actually obey and it helps us pray as we think about being a people that are thankful. Okay, that's a ton. I want you to hear from somebody who um, I really respect, who her story is one that you'll be able to connect with. It's one with lots of ups and downs, but it's one where, where God has been really faithful. So Roxy, would you come and join me? This is my friend Roxy Williams. Roxy's been a member of our church for a long time. I won't say how long, but, but a long time. She's one of our spiritual moms. You hear her pray often. And um, when I thought about people whose life embodies a life of thankfulness, uh, I thought about Roxy. So I asked her just to come and share some of her story with us. Um, I get a chance to pray with Roxy pretty regularly. If you're wondering like how to learn how to pray, Thursdays at noon is where it's at. We gather downstairs. There's this small core of people, and Roxy's there almost every single week. I've heard Roxy pray for you, and it's often rooted in thankfulness of who God is and what he's done. This very thing we're saying of this worldview, she, she believes that and has lived that, and she prays in, in light of that. So I asked her just to share some of her story. Um, I'll ask a couple of questions at the end, but this is my friend Roxy Williams. Uh, would you share a little bit? Sure. Uh, let me know if I'm too loud or whatever. Probably pull uh, it a little closer. A little closer? There you go. Okay. Uh, yeah, throughout my life, I've had a lot of uh, circumstances, different jobs, people that God has brought through, um, a lot of things that have given me happiness, and I am very thankful to God for those things. Uh, and I see his kindness and all that. Uh, But this morning, I just wanted to talk about uh, learning to be thankful for God's providence, uh, his forever faithfulness, um, and personally for the people he's used in my life as well. Um, Sometimes you have to hear some of the uh, difficult and the negative side in order to better appreciate the positive side, so you'll hear some of that in my story as well. Uh, and I hope you can see uh, those things of God working in, in my story. So I'll start with something from childhood. Um, 
there wouldn't have been anything, not the tiniest thing about my dad that would make you think he had any kind of a relationship with God or he would be the kind of person that God would use for anything. And yet looking back on our life, I see that. Um, there was a pattern. Uh, my dad worked for uh, farmers uh, as a farmhand. And so uh, part of his pay would be a, an old farmhouse for the family to live in. Uh, every couple of years, it seemed like they kind of moved from, from one place to another as he worked for different people. Uh, then this is where I see God's intervention. Um, the pattern was broken. Dad actually bought a house with a few acres in the country, and uh, so we were able to stay in one place. And uh, the great thing about that was that house was about a quarter of a mile from a very uh, God-centered, gospel-preaching church. So as uh, dad was gone a lot, mom would take all of us kids and we would be there every time there was a service or every time there was a gathering, uh, we were in church. And that became you know, a very center uh, of our life. Um, I'm very grateful to God that very soon uh, my mom gave her life to the Lord. He became her savior. Uh, I'm especially fond of that, that it happened just before I was born. <laughs> So um, even when it wasn't work-related, Dad was gone more and more, uh, got to the point where he really was hardly ever home, didn't contribute uh, financially or any way. And so uh, my mom had eight children uh, that she was uh, raising and taking care of on her own, and I'm the youngest of those. And uh, even though uh, she didn't have a job or any way to provide, really, uh, all I can say is God took care of us. We were fed, we had our needs, and uh, even now as adults, looking back, us kids can't you know, give an explanation of all the things and people that God used, uh, but we were taken care of and it was in God's hands. Uh, we didn't have a lot materially, uh, but we were taken care of. And so, uh, uh, let's see. Hold on, so you can turn pages. Okay. I'll do that. I don't want to just ramble, so I've got notes here to help keep me in line. <laughs> um, I'm also thankful uh, that I grew up in that kind of time and place uh, where people pretty much just accepted, you know, uh, life wasn't meant to be all sun and roses, uh, that Life included tough times. It included pain and loss. There wasn't quick and easy remedies for everything. Uh, those same people uh, valued that things like hard work, honesty, uh, helping your neighbors, uh, even though you had little uh, materially, uh, was actually a very good way to live. Uh, so that's a part of who I am. Uh, we saw that Christians were not exempt from those hardships and those losses and pains. And I, that made us as a family, as me as a person, to be uh, more content with having little, uh, value the, the joy and the presence and the working of God more uh, than trying to find our security and deep happiness in the, in the things of the world. So I really see God's uh, providence and power uh, throughout my childhood. And when I was seven, I professed uh, faith in Christ as my savior. 
I think probably in my little child mind, it was more like where God is is where good is, so that's where I want to be. And yet that really is the, the very simplistic of the gospel. And uh, it started there for me. Uh, but by the time I was in high school, I wasn't really uh, dedicated to God, wasn't really including him in my plans and decisions. And um, one of the results is that I married a young man from high school, and then we had a, a daughter and then a son. Uh, unfortunately, neither one of us were very good marriage partners, and neither one of us were very good parents. Uh, but God was faithful. Amazingly, the more, uh, I mean, even though we were unfaithful, uh, God was still there, and he was providential, and he was faithful, and he was working, uh, though we didn't always see it. But one example uh, during that time was that my uh, husband, his name was Danny, uh, was doing a, a short remodeling stint with a, a little crew, and the man he was working with uh, all day long, every day, was talking about the gospel message, how Jesus was changing his life. Uh, so eventually my husband came home and uh, told me that he has accepted Christ as his savior. And uh, our little family of four became regular attenders involved in a, a good little church in Oak Grove, Missouri. And things were actually pretty great for about 10 years. And uh, However, <laughs> we had grown more like in the activities and the involvements, uh, not so much in the godly attitudes and uh, the internal uh, things of uh, Christianity and God's characteristics. So eventually, we kind of reverted back to our making our choices and shoving God aside. And uh, of course, we all know that doesn't work very well. <laughs> But Danny resigned being a deacon. He left the church. Uh, then he moved out on the children and me in 1985. Uh, we divorced, and I became a single parent of two teenagers. Two teenagers. Um, I'd like to say at that time that I just grabbed a hold of God and held on and walked with him faithfully. I did not. Uh, there were a lot of strong emotions. I felt rejected. I felt uh, ins insufficient. I felt lonely. Um, so instead of turning to God, I turned just more and more to the ways of the world, looking for uh, acceptance and looking for comfort. And, uh, well, just as God's word says, uh, those things revealed themselves to be shallow, to be temporary. They also brought harm. But God was not finished with me yet. <laughs> so to recap, there was a two-year period where uh, our family moved to Arizona, then back to Missouri. Uh, my husband left, and we divorced. I changed jobs twice, and my mom died. Mm. Needless to say, those were very difficult times. I'm still learning. You don't have to understand all the ways and whys of how God works in things to be able to know that he is there and that uh, I am very grateful to him for that. Sometimes it's hard to do. <laughs> Obviously, my life went on, my children grew up. Uh, I uh, married another man, hadn't learned my lesson, didn't seek God on it. There were good times, there were some really rough times, some sad times. 
And then there just came this strange time in my life when I just found myself being fearful of a lot of things, um, especially about car accidents, uh, maybe because I spent so much time driving back and forth to work, but uh, there was just fear was overtaking my life. Uh, but somehow through that I realized, you know, the only security I'm ever really going to have is going to have to come from God. So I started thinking I wanted to reestablish my relationship with him. And uh, to my su surprise, I had been so far away from him for so long, I couldn't even remember Bible verses, um, church hymns, except for, you know, little bits and pieces. So it came to my mind, I thought, I spend a lot of time in the car. I'm going to uh, find a radio station that plays Christian music, and that, that'll help me ease back in. Well, <laughs> God always does abundantly above, you know, what we ask or think. And uh, so he led me to Bot Radio Station, which had many, many good preachers and good sound sermons, uh, much more than Christian music. And uh, that was the beginning of getting me... Uh, back to God and uh, really making a big difference in my life. And uh, I'm very grateful that he is like that, that he will do more, that he is always that way. Uh, then over those years, I think I was trying to live as if God could be my savior and my benefactor, uh, but not my Lord. And uh, God's not satisfied with that. He won't leave it there. But in spite of all my uh, sin and self-centeredness, uh, God is forever faithful. And uh, because he did not leave me nor forsake me in any of those times, um, eventually I started to go into a, a good church in Richmond, Missouri. And there I really began to grow and change more. Uh, in 2017, I turned 65 and I retired. And I moved to Kansas City, and my daughter and I moved into an apartment together. And the best thing of all about that was, as I was looking for a place to be my church home and family, I believe God led me right here. And uh, because here is where Christ is indeed, the head of the church, we have great leadership. And all the people are so friendly and encouraging um, I've actually grown more spiritually in the few years that I've been here than I have in all my life. And I can better see, I have a great deal more gratitude for really how dependent totally I am on God, and even better than that, how totally dependable God is. So uh, now I'm blessed with time, abundant time, to read the Word, to pray, to uh, be taught, and to uh, be with God's people. So. Uh, I've reached the greatest time of my life, I think, <laughs> and all of this is helping transform me, as uh, conforming me more to Christ, making me more Christ-like, making me love him more. And for all of this and so much more, I'm very grateful to God. Mm. Thanks, Roxy. Mm -hmm. Would you give her a hand? When I read, read this, I was like, just sat at my computer for a while, just um, thankful for you, thankful for what God's done. And um, I remember going like, man, how, how do I like move forward? I, I wondered um, if you would talk about how prayer plays a role in cultivating Thanksgiving. We're talking about a reflex. Um, I mentioned this prayer group. Talk for a second just about how prayer has played a role in your life when it comes to Thanksgiving. And I have one more question and we'll be done. Okay. 
there are times when I pray and I'm aware that God is uh, awesome and involved and I can see things he's doing and, and treasure and appreciate those. So at those times, you know, um, thanksgiving and gratitude just pour out as a natural part of that praying process. And then there's other times I don't feel thankful at all. And what uh, I find if I go ahead and include uh, thanksgiving and praise in my prayers, um, oftentimes those feelings will even follow. Um, it also, uh, including those in praying, um, helps me to keep a better view of God so that I'm not like treating him like a, a vending machine or something, just pouring out my requests and expecting him to, to do things for me. Um, it, it really does help me to have a more reverent attitude and be willing to be more submissive when, uh, when the gratitude comes. So I think the two of them kind of perpetuate each other, praying and gratitude and gratitude and praying are you know, accompany each other and perpetuate That's each huge. other. Because of thankfulness you pray, and as you pray, yeah. you're more thankful. thankful. It's beautiful. Yes. Maybe last question, if you're willing. I want you to imagine 1985, this young woman. Um, what advice would you give her? What would you say to that woman whose husband just left? She's got two teenage kids. Her world's upside down. What would you, what would you say to her? I think I would, uh, you know, say... Even though you can't see it, uh, God loves you. Uh, he's going to be the only uh, security guide and guard. Um, I wish you'd have been able to see that and embrace that more. Um, I had some of the head knowledge. Uh, but when things are really tough, uh, God has to be your, your greatest treasure. He really has to be your heart's desire down deep. Uh, so, you know, um, I'm glad she came to a much better place. Uh, I wish she'd have repented and done it sooner and, and avoided a lot of the consequences. Uh, but we're never without hope or without God in this world. That's good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Could you give her one more hand? Thank you. Hey, I want to quickly move towards communion because we're saying that gratitude is a worldview rooted in what God has done. And communion is the place where we acknowledge and celebrate that really clearly. For Christians, communion is a declaration that Jesus came, broke his body, shed his blood, and it's the place that they find their hope and security. For those who are not followers of Jesus, it's not a meal for you to take. It's just for followers of Christ, but it's a meal that communicates something to you it, speaks to you about hope, about where you could find security and help. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to stay in your seat and pray. There's prayers in the back of your bulletin. There's also here at the front pew, there'll be folks here with lanyards on who would love to pray for you. If you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, I want you to be able to respond. But I wonder, whatever's stirring in your heart, if you would bring it to God and let the truth of who He is and what He's done on the cross speak to those jagged edges, those spaces where you're struggling to be thankful or know how thankfulness fits into your world. Uh, we tear a piece of the bread off and we dip it in the cup. There'll be servers in all these aisles and a gluten-free station here in the middle. I want to give you space just to pray, to come, to respond, and to sing. So I'm going to pray now and then our band will come and we will take communion together as an application. Jesus, we say thank you for who you are. Thanks for all that you've done. And thanks that as we have all these questions about life, 
the worldview that the Bible gives us is a God who steps into that brokenness with himself to die in our place, to make a way for us, not just to be forgiven, but to have eternal hope. So now would you come, minister to us, speak to us, nourish us by the broken body and shed blood of Christ, help that reality make sense of the other things that we're wrestling with, and may it actually cultivate thankfulness. I pray for those in the room that don't yet know you, would you speak to them clearly now in this space? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, come when you're ready.